welcome to the Analysis Mason podcast. I'm Larry Goldman, Chief Analyst at Analysis Mason. And uh, today I'll be talking with several of our research directors about our software and networks predictions uh, for 2023. So uh, joining me today are uh, Justin Vanderland, who heads up our applications uh, area, uh, Caroline Gabriel, who heads up networks, and Caroline Chapel, who heads up cloud. And uh, all four of us will be talking uh, through the a brief podcast now uh, about our predictions. And I'll note that there is a uh, an article that we've published uh, about this, and you can uh, follow the link to that article uh, in the show notes. So the first thing we're going to do is, is talk about the economic climate. Uh, that is a different economic climate going into 2023 than it was certainly uh, a year ago. And that's uh, certainly having a, a big impact on, on all of our economy and certainly in the telecom industry. So uh, let's start with you, uh, Justin. How do you think that the uh, ec- this economic climate as we see it right now is going to be affecting the telecom industry? Well, clearly, you know, the economy uh, across the globe is not looking as uh, as hopeful as one could expect, and that has an implication for the operators. Um, I think the, the impact of it really has been sort of a, over a multi-year uh, effort, if you like, in the sense that, um, you know, the COVID years were kind of expected to be rather slower, and I think this is the first year coming out of that, that uh, you know, inflation and other things are starting to bite. So, what does that mean from a telco perspective? Um, I think they're in a, an interesting position in the sense that they're likely to have fairly uh, steep rising costs, whether that be energy or, or personnel costs, uh, and at the same time, potentially paying more uh, for what they're actually buying as well in terms of the technology, in terms of hardware due to shortages and such that go on. So what are they going to do about it is the big question. You know, Can they raise prices? Uh, can they actually affect things like um, their, their operational expenditures? And I think that the main focus for this year seems to be on the operational side. Uh, can there be an you know, introduction of uh, by uh, reducing operational costs through applying automations? Um, can they be more efficient in terms of their energy usage, et cetera, in ways of actually dealing with that? So there, I think there's some short-term projects which will really be uh, aimed primarily focused at trying to reduce that operational cost, which is something they can have an effect on during the next year or so. And of course, this is a long-term goal for operators, but I think maybe accelerated number of those projects, which are going to affect that mm-hmm. within the next twelve months or so. Okay, great. Well, so uh, what do you what do you think, Caroline Gabriel? Please. Um, yeah, totally agree with Justin about the focus on the operational side. Um, we quite recently did a survey of about fifty operators um, about their sort of uh, changes to their capex and opex. Um, plans uh, over the next couple of years as a result of the current economic climate. And while there's there's some impact on CapEx and um, operators are certainly looking uh, to defer something that's perhaps non-core for, for six months or a year, and they'll certainly be putting massive pressure on their vendors not to put prices up significantly despite the increase in the costs. But Overall, they they feel there's there's limited flexibility, and, and where operators are cutting capex significantly, it's usually in line with something like the end of a five G build out, as in the United States. Um, on the operating side, they are seeing far um, more uh, opportunity to really drag down um, overall cost quite quickly, and um, seeing that in a multitude of areas, um, energy being the high profile one, but mm-hmm. generally looking to accelerate all those automation pro- um, projects and other other initiatives that are really designed to reduce operating cost fairly quickly. Okay. 
Yeah. So, Caroline Chap, what are some other ways that the telco industry is just reacting to this uh, economic change? Well, I guess, uh, you know, we saw in the pandemic, we saw generally across the world, across any kind of enterprise, we saw an uptick in uh, the, the uh, um, demand for cloud services. And of course, you know, telcos are no exception to this. They've been looking very closely and carefully at, at how much they can migrate, how many of their workloads really across, you know, IT and the network to the to the cloud. Um, and on one hand, you'd have thought that, that uh, this year, and the economic climate might accelerate that. But on the other hand, what we are actually seeing is a little bit of a slowdown in that, a, a sort of pause really as to what, you know, what, what is the return on investment of doing this. Um, we saw, I think last year from our research, a huge improvement. Uh, a bracing from the from the operators that they wanted to to uh, uh, consume more services in a SaaS model, um, but actually when we 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 look at our trackers and so on of what's changed, what are the new deals coming out? Things seem to have slowed down. Now that could be a hiccup at the start of the year, um, and things will pick up later in the year. But I think there will be far more scrutiny on what kind of value. The, the, the cloud offers to them and what type of cloud delivery model they're going to embrace. All right. Thanks. So, so certainly the, the things going on in the economy are, are impacting everybody and, and, and certainly impacting telcos and their suppliers. There are things they can do. And, and I think that we, we've seen, and by the way, I think this does show up in, in quite a bit of our research of various things we're pointing to uh, that operators can be doing and are doing. Uh, to deal with these uh, this different economic climate. So, um, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about a, a bit has been uh, the transformation of the telco industry and telcos really converting to be more uh, techcos. And so is is this the year, uh, Caroline Chapel, uh, that that really becomes a, a normal thing? I not sure that this is the year that everybody's or uh, all the operators are suddenly going to 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 transform that there's an awful lot of interest in you know what what uh, benefits does does becoming a what does it actually mean to become a tech co and i guess what what it means to me is that there's a greater emphasis on innovation there's a greater emphasis on on organization and culture change uh, of becoming more software enabled, um, adopting more kind of DevOps um, uh, ways of doing things that break down silos, uh, more horizontalization of the technology infrastructures that support their businesses. So that does chime with with moving to the cloud. And I think there's a a, a very big opportunity, actually. I was thinking about this. uh, for telcos, if you look at what's happening in Silicon Valley and among all the big tech companies at the moment, massive layoffs of people with techco skills. So this is the right time, um, uh, ironically. Uh, you know, telcos have been complaining about the age of their workforce, the fact that they haven't got enough of these skills, the fact that these skills are very expensive in the market and scarce. And suddenly the market's now flooded with these people. So I think that will 
you know, provide some impetus, Larry, for for them to move from from uh, from from telcos to techcos. Those who really want to provide a you know, are still sort of bent on becoming digital service providers because, of course, you know w- what we've seen over the past uh, couple of years is is a, is is some realization that not everybody can be a digital service provider, not everybody can be a techco, and it's not even good business for every telco to be a techco. Very good, and I think your point that says. Uh, the, the the people who are trying to make this transformation can take advantage of the fact that there's a uh, there's a, a a talent pool that is becoming available to the more readily available than mm. the past. A very good point. So, Justin, what are your thoughts? Uh, how does this impact the applications area and so forth? Well, w- will it be? Well, I suppose a couple of things. You know, I think there's certainly things that um, telecoms operators can learn from the the, the, the OTTs, the tech, techno side of the business. Without a doubt, no. So the the ease of use, the the uh, the immediacy in terms of service delivery, um, the simplicity of it, and all those sort of good things, and the the high high levels of automation which those guys deliver to give a very good customer experience, and one which telcos really struggle with, particularly for complex enterprise services, which are essential for the uh, for the for the for the for the 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 five G services which are coming down the line. So I think there's plenty they can learn from them. Um, whether they'll all turn into tech uh, techno uh, 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 organizations, I, I think it's pretty unlikely. I think there'll be some which may go that way. I would say that there is you know, some t- um, some operators are going slightly beyond um, their normal operations, shall we say, in the sense they're trying to act um, as being a technology provider as well. So there are people like, like Rakuten, for example, who are selling their their, their OSS and BSS systems as a, a separate uh, concern within their Symphony outfit. We've seen Geo come to market this last year with a similar outfit and some smaller smaller players like uh, Elisa, for example, or uh, out of um, out of Finland and uh, and out of Singapore. We have others like Circles Circles Life, for example. Again, same sort of business model. So they are taking you know a couple of leaves out of the 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 OTT players and acting very much more like techno companies in their in their approach, trying to sort of um, uh, get benefits from both the technology and the and the uh, and the connectivity-based services. So, I don't think it'll be a year for it, but I think there'll be a few a few leading lights in this space, uh, which may may be the harbinger for a change within some of the operators in a slightly wider scale, but uh, not wholesale change this year. And Caroline Gabriel, what are what are your thoughts on the the techno uh, impact or tech co? Excuse me, tech co impact on on telcos. Yes, I mean, we're mainly looking at it from the point of view of how that affects what they're investing into in their in their actual networks. And I think indeed there'll be few operators that really succeed in a purely over-the-top world. Um, they do need to leverage the strengths they have in their networks. And I think this is the big decision that companies like Geo are, are really taking very seriously is how can they differentiate rather than just have a big pipe to support their digital services? Um, but also, what sort of device ecosystem do they need to uh, to build? And Geo is a good example of that as well, um, working with all kinds of companies in the ecosystem to come up with, with devices that are optimized for particular digital services. And so trying to sort of get away, distance itself somewhat from the more um, the, the more mainstream tech codes that, uh, that we all know. So... Um, uh, yes, I, I think the the successful telcos are the ones who are going to s- sort of sit in in the middle ground between pure techco and and leveraging the strengths they already have on the network and device side, um, 
but I think there'll be only really quite a few that do that very successfully. Okay. Well, you know, something we've been talking about um, for a few years is uh, the impact of enterprise services and and operators having a more robust offer uh, and that creating some new opportunities for them. So, and I think maybe we want to particularly talk about uh, private networks, and I'll turn to you first, Justin, but uh, we do see, don't we, uh, that there is some real action here uh, happening now, and we think it's going to be significant, I think, in 2023 about uh, providing um, unique services for enterprises and that creating more opportunity for operators. Well, as you rightly say, I think, Larry, there are sort of two different things there. There's sort of private networks and enterprise services, um, which are sort of somewhat separate. So private networks, particularly for 5G, and I know that Caroline or Caroline uh, Gabriel will comment on this, but you know, clearly um, there are plenty of uh, 5G private networks which are rolling out there. And I think the, the biggest issue that I see from a sort of an operational perspective is obviously, you know, they require, you know, 5G is not the same as Wi-Fi, um, if you like. Uh, there's a there's a degree of sophistication and uh, and therefore uh, requirement for um, uh, better uh, management systems to enable an enterprise of modest or in large size to to take on those networks without the overall um, operational effort, uh, cost, and and, per- and associated skilled personnel associated with it. And I think that as as we see um, those uh, those sort of private networks roll through. Um, in order to make that sort of mass market or, or a sort of a, a larger market, uh, that needs to be addressed as one of the key critical factors associated with it, along with others, of course, uh, associated with spectrum and other areas which come into play as well. Um, mm-hmm. As for the enterprise services, very briefly, um, obviously, you know, 5G, um, the, 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 the one major thing that that can bring, uh, particularly bring on slicing and, uh, and, uh, and uh, standalone is going to be the ability to actually address some of those uh, specific enterprise services. Uh, and that, that leads, um, it, it is complex stuff. And again, from a, an operational perspective, we've seen early adopters actually have some difficulties in actually supporting some of those more sophisticated services. Um, and therefore, in terms of being able to operate operate efficiently and effectively within those spaces, we, we do need to see a sort of a, a new class of, of, uh, of applications to come and support those. Um, those enterprise services to enable them to come to market in a in a robust, um, secure, and uh, and cost effective manner. So um, it'll happen. It kind of has to happen for five G. This is one of those critical factors to make the whole thing work. So Caroline Chapel, I think we, we we think of cloud networking as really important part of this whole area of, of enterprise services and, and so forth. And recently, I think you've been putting emphasis on things multi cloud networking. So what are, what are your thoughts about how enterprise services especially are going to be developing this year? Yeah, well, I, I think there are three areas that are going to be top of mind and, and, and uh, this year um, for, for operators. Um, first of all, uh, I think that they are very concerned about edge cloud. So how do they sell edge clouds? Um, how do they monetize that? And that, of course, is very closely linked with uh, private 5G um, and uh, uh, and and indeed, the second trend that they're that five uh, G related trend that they're they're going to be looking at, which is how do you expose the the, the emerging five uh, G network capabilities through APIs and monetize those? I think that's also going to be uh, top of mind this year, and it relates very much to. Uh, to slicing because, of course, those APIs are going to be what you're going to need to call in order to create very customized uh, networks. Um, 
for enterprises? Or indeed, are you going to create them for enterprises? Or are you going to make them available, network as a service, so that uh, so that enterprises can create them for themselves, create these slices, create these networks for themselves? And that does link to what you're talking about, Larry, in terms of multi-cloud networking. This is the uh, the layer of the network that um, that is that is becoming more and more software and cloud based. The layer of the the, the transport connectivity services that needs to be um, more um, uh, more more cloud based and is becoming more cloud based and. The incumbent operators need to react to all those new entrants in the market that are building um, uh, new sort of control planes that that will that will run effectively over the internet um, or indeed over new transport um, underlays uh, that are that are really giving the big operators a run for their money and being able to connect them to multiple clouds at the same time. And then, of course, you've got the public cloud providers themselves coming into this whole sort of multi-cloud networking area and allowing enterprises, you know, making it easy for enterprises to build their own multi-cloud networks on, uh, on the public cloud provider's backbone. So this is a very, very active area. That I uh, and I think we're going to see this year. We're going already, you know, BT has announced that it wants to be the the the, the largest uh, multi-cloud networking provider in uh, in 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 the world. Um, building a uh, going to launch a brand new uh, network this quarter. So I think this will be a very a big area of activity for um, for for operators and indeed for the whole market in the year ahead. Okay, so Caroline Gabriel the we've we've been talking for some time about 5G standalone is really enabling some of these unique enterprise capabilities and so forth. So is 2023 the year that we're going to see enough of that 5G standalone and enough uptake on the enterprise side that we see a notable unique value in 5G? No, I don't think it'll be 2023 if we're talking about the main networks. Um uh, we are seeing a lot more standalone um, being deployed for local enterprise and private networks um, than in the public network. And an interesting aspect of those private networks where, the, where it's conventional operators deploying them is they're often using them to, to test, experiment with new architectures and innovate um, in a, a way that doesn't risk their their major their main network. So, so yes, we'll see a lot of standalone activity. We're really forecasting that the tipping point for standalone is going to come somewhat in well into next year, um, if we talk about the public networks. Um, I think relating that to the private network discussion, most private networks to date are very local. Um, they, they live by themselves. I think Caroline makes a really good point that the, the real power play will be in uh, what what ties them all together and allows them to operate as a sort of global whole, or at least even a, even a nationwide whole, which which will become increasingly important for uh, in multinational companies, for um, complex supply chains, and so on. So, uh, so the the sort of very localized nature of private networks needs to change. Um, at the minute, it's it's fine. You can have a standalone core that just sits in, in one location. Spectrum policy has been very much geared to supporting those very localized um, little enterprise networks. But um, that, that, that does mean that the, the sort of reason to deploy uh, standalone on, on, 
on a national scale and a public network at the minute is, is quite diminished. Um, so I think it's going to be a com uh, as people start to think in much more wide area um, terms and national terms, then operators will see a better business case for deploying standalone um, in in the public in the in their mainstream networks. Okay. So I'm going to stick with you, Caroline, as we turn to the last topic of the podcast, which is really what's going to be the emphasis of operator investments in their networks uh, in as as we go through 2023, what's going to be the, the main thing operators are going to be focused on from an investment point of view? Yeah, I mean, uh, so going back to the very first question, we're obviously seeing um, quite a lot of operators in the big economies starting to come to the end of the, the current um, rolled out rollout cycle, both in fibre and um, and the first phase of five G. So there'll be a, a little bit of of a lull in countries um, like China and North America, but. Generally, um, on the fibre side, um, most of the really big fibre deployments are um, coming towards their end point. And a big priority, as AT&T was talking about the other day, um, will actually be to shut down the legacy networks and the copper as quickly as possible. That's from a cost point of view, let fibre um, really, really play completely. So we'll see some, some slowdown in that. Um, on the, which means that generally investment is shifting back a little bit towards mobile. In COVID times, it, it very much shifted um, towards fixed for obvious reasons, I think. Um, so in mobile, yes, it'll be all about 5G, um, building up more capacity. Probably the big change um, compared to previous years is that far more operators will build up coverage now. Very, very few operators have done very broad coverage with 5G. You know, T-Mobile USA is one of the standout exceptions. Um, so we'll see a, a lot of um, non-standalone 5G coverage. As we just discussed, we'll see you know some increase in 5G standalone, but we think that will remain fairly uh, fairly gradual in 2023, pick up in 2024. And, um, and of course, there's a great deal of interest in how quickly the RAN um, becomes virtualized um, and even opened. Um, and we're doing some very detailed forecasts and predictions around that. But really, um, again, seeing VRAN at the minute, whether it's an open RAN or a closed VRAN, um, seeing it as very much the preserve of a few either greenfield operators or a few you know, big um, big leaders in, in the area, such as uh, NTT Docomo. Um, but a, a lot of experience um, and expertise being gathered, ecosystems being built. So probably in about 2025 to 26, I think then that's when we'll start to see virtualized RAN of various types becoming quite mainstream um, in, uh, in the public, in the macro network. I mean, there's quite a lot of it going on um, uh, in, in the private networks already. So how, how open that RAN will be, um, I think, depends a lot on, on many factors that happen over the, the next couple of years. But um, certainly there's, there's a lot of operator impetus to, to try to open up the interfaces and mature that platform um, in, in time for what perhaps we probably look at as the second phase of 5G build out in, in the developed economies. Okay. So, Caroline Chapel, you know, something just occurs to me is, is we see all the headlines about the, uh, the big cloud players themselves pulling back, uh, you know, how much they're investing and so forth. But anyway, how, what do you see the, the impact of 
uh, you know, what are the focus for telcos in terms of their investments, particularly thinking about their, their cloud-related investments? Yes, well, I think you know, as uh, Caroline said, the the, uh, the 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 big in investment in cloud at the moment that that gets all the attention is is the RAN. You know, is is the RAN going to be virtualized? Who's going to to run it? We've had a very big announcement. I think quite a significant announcement at the end of last year uh, by five European operators, Project Silver. Now, whether that's going to be the, at the moment, it sounds like it's a lo- just a lot more blueprints, shared blueprints for a common. Uh, European telco cloud. Um, incidentally, there are more operators than just those five European operators are interested in, in joining in the Project Silver, which looks at you know, how do you how do you create blueprints for for, for um, an, an, an open RAN cloud? Um, but uh, but that uh, you know it, what would be really exciting here is if that really turned into an actual implementation. If that somehow could be a shared implemented cloud uh, for the uh, five telecoms operators, and then uh, then the question is, well, who would run that? Who would they build it themselves? Would they would they use the sort of DIY method, delivery method, or would they actually get some public cloud providers involved? What would be the issues around sovereignty and anti? Trust, I think, fascinating case study to watch in in 2023. Um, but I, I think overall we are seeing from uh, we're just about to publish our our new cloud network um, uh, forecast um, for, uh, uh, for for the next five years, and we are seeing public cloud providers take a greater share of the um, network cloud market. Now, uh, when I say that, it's, that doesn't mean to say that uh, operators are going to run their functions in the public cloud. That means that uh, that public cloud providers are, are often going to provide um, some or if not all of their cloud stacks on-premise um, as a kind of private sovereign in, uh, um, instance of their, of their cloud that runs on the operator's premise. But nevertheless, they are becoming significant providers uh, to the market. Uh, and there will, there will be a shift in investment uh, in the cloud to those kinds of players. Okay, thanks, Caroline. So, Justin, your thoughts, what do you see the primary focus of operators' investment focus in the year ahead? Well, as I said at the beginning of the call, I think you know, from an operational perspective, anything that addresses that, um, we've obviously, you know, what tends to dictate where applications go and operational spend goes, it tends to mimic and somewhat lag the uh, the investments going into the networks primarily. So if we look to what's happening within the network environment, obviously got 5G as being the biggest catalyst for change going on in there. And there are things like billing standards, which are changing, for example, which will um, uh, support the change the need for online charging, for example, uh, and indeed, you know, uh, even even ways that um, businesses are now being run. We're looking at sort of uh, maybe a, a greater disaggregation of what's gone on within both the networks and indeed how services are pieced together. So things like wholesale, for example, come to, come come to mind in that sort of way. So I think there'll be some things which tend to drive that sort of operational cost. Um, and uh, and then address that. And I would say sort of final mix that tends to be sort of driven within within my area, you know, the assurance, the automated assurance area, of course, does love um, having these complications in terms of networks, the, um, the, the complications in terms of services, which all need to be mon- managed and monitored. Um, and certainly we're seeing a, uh, you know, a gentle uh, increase, shall we say, in terms of spend, 
within that space as we see these networks roll through um, and uh, customer requirements and associated customer sort of SLAs uh, with those services are needing to be uh, managed and forecast. So, um, you know, changes in the network environment, changes in the service mix, uh, all, all get supported through uh, both the assurance, the fulfillment, and indeed the billing cycles, which all need updating. So, any changes on those fronts was very welcome to to vendors looking at that. Probably less welcome from the from the operator side of things. Okay. Well, thanks to all of you for your comments on what you think is going to be happening uh, in 2023. Uh, this will be a very interesting year. Those things we've commented on are all um, have quite a bit of impact uh, on our industry, uh, both for 2023 uh, and for the year ahead. So uh, I, for our listeners, thanks for, for listening to the podcast. I'll remind you again, there there is a link in the show notes to uh, our published version of predictions on network and software uh, predictions for 2023. Uh, so we want to wish all of you a happy new year. And uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. <music>